Uh, you know, it's interesting. Unless the people involved, everyone involved, is absolutely perfect, without forgiveness, the relationship just won't happen. You've got to have the giving and the receiving and the accepting and the knowing I need it and all of that. Uh, it's a difficult thing. Let's pray for just a moment and thank our God. Lord, thank you for granting us forgiveness. None of us have not sinned. Lord, uh, none of us are aware of the full extent of our sin, but you are, and yet the, the gift of Jesus washes it completely clean. And God, I thank you that you have given us uh, forgiveness. Thank you. Lord, would you give us wisdom with that and help us to both grant and extend and offer that regardless of what it might cost as we would seek to reflect you as we have our relationships here on this earth. May we honor you with them. And Lord, I pray now, too, that you would open our eyes to your word, what you have for us, as we explore this area of our lives that just contains so much that sometimes we want to run from, sometimes we do. But we want to honor you with them and experience these relationships, God, in a way that would please you and how you meant them to be. We, we commit this time right now to you. We ask your Holy Spirit to be our teacher, for it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. It was July 1st, 1993. That's a day that changed my life completely. My, my first daughter was born that day. And I was, you know, really, when we got the thingy back and it had the two dots instead of the one dot, I was so excited about this thing. And I was praying for this baby in Teresa's womb. And I, I put my hands on her belly and trying to feel and, and trying to, you know, grab the elbow or the knee or whatever. And Teresa said, maybe you should wait till I start showing before you do that. Just be a little more comfortable, Mark. I was a little bit excited about this kind of thing. And I was reading scripture to the baby and singing to it. And, and then when it came time for us to go to the hospital, oh, man, oh, man. I mean, it's, all this has been building, you know. But so we had our bags packed and we had water bottles and cameras and video cameras, remember that era, and, and tripods and, and books and special phone numbers and on, and clothes and the car seat had been strapped in the car for six months and all we were, we were ready to go. And when we got to the hospital and got in the room, you know, they strapped the, the, uh, monitor on Therese that kind of shows her contractions, how often they're coming and how severe they are. And every, as they got closer and closer and, and more severe, you know, I was getting more and more excited. Whoa, whoa, yeah, it's coming. And then when it was time, you know, and, and they, the nurses came in and they strapped the baby heart monitor on Therese, you know, and you could hear the thump 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 and, and that was going on there, taking the bed apart, and they're wheeling in all kinds of stuff, and I'm going, oh, oh man, this is intense, this is cool. Somebody pushed a button in the hospital we were at, and the uh, ceiling opened up, and a mirror came down so that Therese can kind of see everything that's going on, and, and the, the, the doctor walks in. And I'm just, I'm thinking, this is fantastic. I can see from the contractions thing that Therese is in tons of pain. You know, but I'm ready for popcorn. I'm, oh, yeah, yeah, let's make this happen here. And the, the, the little Filipino doctor, neat guy, but he said, okay, Teresa, when I tell you to push, push. Okay, now, push. And, and the, the, the head starts to come out. I'm like, ah, the baby. And I freak out. Ah, Teresa, it's going to And then Teresa, shut <laughs> Suddenly, in the, I'm serious. Suddenly in the room, it's deathly silent. <laughs> Except for the dump-a-dump-a-dump-a-dump. The, the, the nurses all, everyone stops. The doctor, they kind of stare over at me. 
<laughs> yeah, I think mean, I'll just be quiet now. It was, it was just that day changed my life. I became a dad. I became a parent. No, no, no question about it. Our parents most significant relationship we can have on this earth. Let me just ask you, when you look back to the person who may have influenced you, good or bad, they have that power more than anybody else in this life. I mean, would say it was mom or dad influenced me more than anybody else. Let's see your hand. Mom or dad, number one influencer in your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you think about this, the, the, the president's, the next leaders of all countries, uh, the, the leaders of future businesses and technology and medical stuff and world finance, they're growing up right now underneath somebody's home. They are being influenced by parents. They will say one day, number one influencer, I hope and trust, was mom or, or dad for, for good or bad. Most significant relationships we will deal with down here is to our parents or if we're a parent to our children. But let me ask you, how? are you doing with that if you've got kids at home? Because you know if you've got kids at home that there's no dress rehearsal for this thing, right? I mean, the, you might not be ready. It doesn't matter. The, the, the curtain is up. The lights are on your center stage, and it's going. It's going. Whether you're ready for it, or, and there's no intermission. You can't just, okay, let's just stop. I'm going to stop this for all. No, no, it's rolling. One day it'll be over. And then the question will be, how did you do? How did you do? Now, the question is not, are you sincere or do you love your children? Because most we're all there. No doubt you work hard. And sometimes you work extra hard when the braces come along or you want life, uh, you know, the, the lessons or camps. or You probably sacrifice immensely. Uh, I don't think, am I like the only one that if there's like one decent piece of food left, I like sneak it in the bathroom and close the door and just so I can actually eat it without someone else getting it? Um, you sacrifice immensely. You give everything you got. You love them. You would defend them to the hilt. You do defend them to the hilt. You love them with everything. But still, that's not the same question as, is, but are you skillful at it? I think you would agree with me, right? That there are sincere surgeons and people who are good at it. Skillful surgeons. There are sincere artists and skillful artists. There are sincere people who sing, they want to sing, they think they can and then there are people who are good at singing just because you're sincere doesn't mean you're good at it so let me ask you how are you doing with the skillful thing, the the word we're looking for our word in in, uh, scripture is the word wisdom it's uh, chokmah, you gotta like Clear your throat a little bit. Oh, that's that's the, the, the Hebrew word, and it means wisdom. It means skill. This is the word that was used for the guys that in the desert made the, the tabernacle. They made this thing with, with metal and with fine cloth and with hides, and they made this huge thing in the desert with no tools. God looked at them and said, wise, chokmah. Okay, that's, it's, it's skill. This is not a word that's used for everybody. It's not used for, for people who are good. This is a word that's used for like LeBron James people with basketball. They're, they're, they're players, but then there's LeBron James folk. You know, then this is the kind of word that's used for Steve Jobs regarding innovation or Warren Buffett with, with finance. This is, this is Hawkman. This is, this is above. And God says, he commands you and I to be wise. Let me ask, how are you doing with that? I'd say, well, boy, I'm hoping. And I think that if I was mentored by Dobson... Or by 
you know, June and Ward Cleaver, you know, or something like that, I could probably be better than what I am, but I don't know. And so we read the books and we go to the seminars, we go to the conferences because we don't want to mess this up. We want to do it right. And still we feel like we don't have the right mentors. And God says in his word, I've given you, every parent, four mentors that you've got. You might not know you have them and you might not be listening to them, but you got, you got four at least. And each one has a lesson. And if you can get the lesson, it's going to raise your parenting. None of us are going to be perfect, but it will raise it. It will raise every relationship you have. Matter of fact, it's going to raise your quality of life completely. If you listen to these four mentors and you get the lesson that they have. It's found in your Bible in the book of Proverbs chapter 30. If you've got your Bibles, would you turn with me? Proverbs chapter 30. We think that Solomon wrote the Proverbs. He wrote a lot of them, but he didn't write them all. Didn't write chapter 30, by the way. That comes from a guy named Agur. But Agur says this. He says, four things on earth are small, yet they are extremely wise. Uh, Verse 24 of chapter 30. The small does not necessarily mean size. Kind of. But not really. He's looking at significance. I mean, diamonds, I think they're kind of small. They're significant. He's saying there are four things that seems to us are just useless, irrelevant, insignificant things. Yet, God says they are extremely wise. God doesn't just say they're wise. They are extremely wise. Doubly wise is the the term, actually. Very, very wise. These These are the four mentors. And the first one he gives us. He says that the ants, ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in summer. Ants. Now, if you, if you notice, he says ants are creatures of little strength. Now, we know, because we're Western 21st century people, that ants actually are very strong. They can hold or carry between 10 and 50 times their weight. That would be like a 150-pound man carrying 1,500 pounds up to 7,500 pounds. Ants are pretty strong. And we might look at that ant and go, man, that dude is carrying a huge breadcrumb. But still, it's just a stupid breadcrumb, right? I mean, you walk out of your house and you could step on 15 of them and not even know it. Ants are small. They're seemingly insignificant, totally irrelevant, doesn't matter. But notice why they're wise. They're not wise because of their personality. They're not wise because of their charisma, because of their talent. Ants are wise because they understand what time it is. They know what time it is. Ants know that winter is coming. Winter always comes. It's not a matter of of maybe it won't come this year. No, 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 no. Winter always, always comes. And since it's summertime, I know if I want to be prepared for winter, I better be storing up now. When crisis hits, all you have is what you carried into it. It's a bad time once crisis hits to decide, well, I better get things together. No, 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 it's too late for that. I mean, it's never probably never too late to get things together, right? But you only have in a crisis what you've brought into The crisis. And ants recognize that. They know that personal crisis comes and it doesn't send us a postcard a few days before it gets here saying, hey, I'm going to be here in a few weeks. Just want you to get ready for it. It's like a tornado. Blows in, does its damage, blows out, leaving us to cope. 
And the only thing we will have at that point to deal with it is what we brought into it. Our faith, our understanding of the word of God. Very few things can you learn in crisis that you didn't really know before you you got there. Ants understand what time it is. There's also a, a national crisis, I think I would say. I think you'd agree with me that our country is facing a moral crisis right now. Several evangelical leaders believe that the United States of America is right now underneath the judgment of God. It's not a zap judgment, but it's a process judgment. If you read Amos, if you read Habakkuk, historically speaking, once that judgment started, it doesn't reverse. It's rolling. 1954, I think this is amazing, Time Magazine in 1954 and if you're familiar with, with Time and their, their left bent, Time magazine says this. In 1954, the editors in the editor column said, quote, homosexuality gives us the creeps. Can you imagine a news editor of a major news magazine saying something like that today? Oh, man, today, same-sex marriage is legal in Maine, Connecticut, Iowa, Vermont, New Hampshire, New York, Washington, California, Delaware, Hawaii, Maryland, Minnesota, New Jersey, New Mexico, Rhode Island, Illinois, three other states it's tied up in the courts. But I think it's pretty safe to say that most probably we're not going to reverse on this thing. Most probably there are going to be a day where it's 50 out of 50 are there. And those states that don't want to go there, the government will apply so much pressure or so much penalization that they have to go there. It's been said that if God doesn't judge America, he's going to owe Babylon and Assyria and Rome an apology. Most probably winter is coming. And the world that you and I are in right now, hostile to our faith, I wonder what it will be like for our children when they've grown up. How about for our grandchildren? How much more hostile. And when they get there, when winter comes, because winter always comes, what they will have is what you have given them right now. Your kids, when they leave home, will have two things. They'll have two bags. One bag will be the memories that you've, you've given to them. And one will be their character, their faith in Christ that you are packing for them. Those with the brain of an ant realize, they realize what time it is. And while it's summer, I need to be working. I need, if you've got kids at home, it is summer. It's time to be pouring and building into them. You might say, man, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to, I'm just going to let the church take care of that one. I'm not sure. You need to know, uh, Deuteronomy 6. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Notice when you're supposed to impress them on their children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. That's basically all the time. And that's what he's saying. All the time. This is not a command to the church. This is a command to the family, to the parents. You guys. Your job is to pack their bags. Our youth ministries, just so we know, our children's ministries are not designed to be the sole discipler of the kids. They're designed biblically to augment what they're getting at home, but not be the sole discipler. Those with the brain of an ant realize that, that it is summertime if my kids are home, or if you have influence on grandchildren, and my job is to help them grow. It's help provide for them because winter is coming. It will be here. What am I doing? Now, I, I know... 
That life is, the goal of this morning is not to, to beat up on anybody, make us all feel like we're horrific parents. I know that life is busy, we got things going on, responsibilities we got to take care of before God. I, I, I've got that, I'm driving all over the place, I, I understand. I have to remind myself, please, Harris, don't take the most important and, and substitute the important. We have to make sure that, that packing our children's bags spiritually while it's summer, while they have this option, is what I'm required. It's what I'm required to do. We might say, "Well, again, I don't know. I don't know how to do that." Here's here's easiest way to do it. Forget the curriculum. Forget the program. Forget. Take your own walk with Christ, and make sure it's at the very top. And I am just going to make this number one value. I am going to live for this. I'm going to invest there. I, everything else may fall apart. I'm going to know Him as well as as anyone can know Him. I'm going to because you know what? While you do that. Our kids, who you think aren't looking, you think they don't understand, they don't know. They watch what we do in secret. And that's what they know. That's, that's stamped on their hearts and their souls and their minds of what is most important in life. And, and so as we spend that time with him and we focus on him and we seek to grow, not just you know become walking encyclopedias, we seek to grow and understand and know. What we do is we disciple our children. And again, maybe for some of us, we would say, you know, we don't need any more message than this right now this morning. This is, where, this, is, this is for me. That's where I need to go. It's been on the list. It's dropped a little bit. need to get it back. need to get it back. Those with the brain of the ant know what time it is. But also, he gives us another mentor, doesn't he? It's just the conies are creatures of little power. Yet they make their home in the crags. Conies is a little... Uh, Mammal, a little smaller than a rabbit. We don't see a lot of them around here. They'd be the rock badger, the hyrax. Doesn't, they don't have a whole lot of uh, defense. They're not real fast. They're not, they don't have a lot of fangs. And, you know, they're just kind of a, they're a sitting duck in many ways. And so what they do, they recognize that when the eagle's coming after them, or when the mountain lion's coming after them, their only defense is to get down to, between the, the crevices of the rocks where they can't be reached. Because even though they're defenseless, the rock is not defense. That's going to be their defense. For us, the rock is, of course, God. Make sure we, we understand the rock is not theology. And I'm all into theology, good theology. It's, but that's not, that's not our rock. Theology is like a road sign. And so many people want to gather around the road sign. And we want to like debate the road sign and argue about the road sign and ponder the road sign. And <laughs> sign says rock 50 miles. Actually, it's closer to 51. So I said, well, so, yeah. it's, it says 50 miles, but you know, I think it was probably longer in times past. You know, the roads were a little bit more windy. Someone else might say, hey, you guys, did you notice the back side of the sign is painted a different color? I wonder what that means. Well, I don't know what to say. And so they ponder and they think and they, th- and they forget that the goal of the sign is to point them someplace. It's to get them in the right place. The, the sign is not the rock. It's to get them to the rock, though. And these are folk who might understand the rock. They got the sign memorized, but they, they, they don't understand their weakness. And of course, there are people who understand their weakness. Uh, agnostic, mili- uh, atheists, not the militant guys, but they know life is difficult. It's going to rain. I don't know what to do with it, though. Just do the best you can. They recognize they're weak, but they don't understand where the rock is. And to take advantage of the rock you have to understand who you are, how weak you are, and you have to understand how strong God 
is. Look at this, this in the text, Psalm 18.2. It says, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. He lifted me out of the slimy pit and he put my feet, or the mud mire, and he put my feet on a rock. And he gave me a firm place to stand. From the ends of the earth I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. You can see this guy, the eagles are coming after him, aren't they? Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And Paul's talking about some Old Testament pictures, but he says, the, old, the Israelite guys through the desert. He says that they drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. That's our rock. If you have the brain of a coney, you realize, I'm defenseless. I'm weak. You know, you go to a gym, you're never going to see a coney pumping iron, you know, because even the most buff coney is no match for an eagle, Right? He's not, he's not going to be able to outrun the mountain lion. He's not going to be able to outsmart the coyote. He, 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 he knows how to... He's not stupid. He's extremely wise. He understands how weak he is. Maybe some of y'all have wandered away from the rock. You think you can handle it. You think you can take care. You've got to know there's enemies out there that you and I can't deal with. Temptations that you and I can't deal with. We're not, you think you're, you're not strong? You're not strong enough. You have enemies, whether it's materialism or busyness or um, hell itself, your own wicked heart. You've got incredible enemies. And your child's number one uh, goal, their, their number one need, is your proximity to the rock. The number one thing to, to strengthen any relationship or quality of life is your proximity to the rocks. Let me ask you, do you have the brain of a coney this morning? Do you recognize where your security lies? It's not in me. I want to get stronger, but it's not in me. It's in my, my rock, and I need to be there. If you were to go to a coney convention... And you were to stick around for the closing ceremonies. The conies would all get together at the end and they would sing their closing hymn, which would be, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself. And the idea of the brain of a cony. He goes on. He says, well, that's not all. Locusts, it's a small thing that's extremely wise. They have no king, yet they advance together in ranks. The locusts, they understand the value of community. You know, one simple, stupid locust, grasshopper, it's nothing, right? You know, they spit a little tobacco or whatever it is they spit on you. That's nothing. But you get a bunch of these guys together, and you got, you got problems. In 2000, the year 2000, Australia was hit by a plague of locusts, created over $500 million worth of damage. This is not just an ancient times thing. 1988-89, a plague of locusts moved across North Africa, the Middle East, and Asia, eventually impacting one-fifth of the landmass of the earth. In 1875, a plague of locusts moved through the Great Plains from Minnesota to Texas. Let me, let me this, this locust covered from the top, to the throughout all the Midwest. Let me quote from the National Center of Case Study Teaching on Science. Uh, an eyewitness says that uh, this, a cloud was over the sun. 
It was not like any cloud they had seen before. It was a cloud of something like snowflakes and thin and glittering. Light shone through each flickering particle. There was no wind. The grasses were still and hot. The hot air did not stir. And the edge of the cloud came across the sky faster than did the wind. The hair stood up, stood up on the dog's neck. All at once he made a frightful sound up at that cloud. A growl and a whine. Plunk. Something fell, from the, fell to the ground. It was the largest grasshopper I'd ever seen. The cloud was hailing grasshoppers. The cloud was was grasshoppers. Their bodies hid the sun and made darkness. Their thin, large wings gleamed and glittered. The rasping, whirling of their wings filled the whole air, and they hit the ground with the house and noise of a hailstorm. This was the largest locust plague that hit America. It, they, they said that the combined... Uh, Area mass of this was of Connecticut, Delaware, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, and Vermont. When the locusts finally left, they had created $275 billion in damage. What one simple, stupid locust couldn't do. You get these guys in community. Now, it's, it's fascinating that God has made us for community. And we think we're going to go do life on, on our own. The, the locust, he doesn't have a king. In other words, he doesn't have someone telling him, you got to do this. He just knows that he needs to do this. Parents might be a good parent, but you will never be the parent you could be if you're not in community. If you try to make the Christian walk on your own, you, you just, you're going to be like the lone zebra on the plains of Kenya. You know, it's not long before he is lying lunch someplace. When you look in the, the New Testament, the word saint, the word saint never appears singular. It's, it's saints, always. When you look at the word you in the New Testament, almost, very seldom does it appear singular. Almost always it's plural. As important as personal devos are, the Bible speaks a whole lot more of corporate time. As we're with like-minded folk who care about God, we're, we're sharpened. As you know, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. He who walks with the wise grows wise. It's fascinating, the studies that are out on some of these uh, the gangs where individuals will do stuff in a gang that they would never do alone. They wouldn't think about it, but that gang mentality, psychology, just kicks in and causes them to do things they wouldn't do otherwise. Same thing on the positive side, though. When you are in a positive community that is, is committed to the word of God, you will be emboldened to do that which you wouldn't be emboldened to do otherwise. You will understand blind spots that you would not have seen otherwise. You will, you will be given perspective that you would not have, have noticed otherwise. This is, this is all of life stuff. To have the brain of the locust realizes that I can't go through this on my own. So let me ask you. Do you have the brain of a locust? Or is it pretty much I can do this on my own? I don't have time. Too busy. No time. I, I just praise God for him giving me different men throughout my life who uh, called me on stuff as I started down a path stopping me from things that I would have hung myself on. Uh, folk who uh, challenged my excuses. People who, who said that I could when I said I couldn't. Uh, people who were just sharing with me where they were at with God and how that challenged me and spoke to my heart. Without that, 
You know, without that community, we, we, we just are not going to be what we were created to be, including in parenthood. So let me ask you, what community are you in? Let me throw a couple things out, especially men. Listen for a second, because this is hardest for us, I think, or harder for us. In the fall, we've got something called men's fraternity. Now, we're wrapping it all up right now and taking the summer off, but we're starting again in the fall. Guys, just take a mental note right now that when that kicks back in, that guys getting together once a week, it's, it's uh, excellent, uh, intentional, strategic teaching, but community, I'm going to be a part of that. I'm going to be busy then, but it doesn't matter. I'm going to be a part of that. Are you in a, a life group? Uh, we've got that. You know, I was last week, uh, Focus on the Family just came out with their new, uh, they're calling it the Family Project. And last week I was at their kind of the kickoff of this thing. Uh, we're going to be getting the curriculum here. What you might want to do is just grab a couple of friends here at the church. Maybe they're not, not in a small group. doesn't matter. Start your own. Contact Pastor Scott and say, hey, we're interested in that family project curriculum. As soon as it gets here, let us know. We're looking to do it. We want to grow. We need community, especially around this idea of family. Do you have the brain of a, of a locust? He goes on. He says, okay, one last thing, one last small but extremely wise mentor is a lizard. A lizard can be caught with a hand, yet it is found in the king's palace. Let's just look at this lizard. This thing is ugly, isn't it? I mean, look at those eyes. Check out those toes for crying out loud. I mean, as long as his head. He's got the wild hairdo thing going. He looks like he's had a bad day. He's not smiling. He just, not too many people look at a lizard and say, well, he's such a beautiful lizard. Lizards are just ugly things. And most of them are, are very defenseless. They, they have, uh, most of them are small. They don't have claws or teeth to speak of. If you're like in Florida or somewhere in Central America, you know you can snag one of these little guys up and just kind of look at them and throw them aside when you're done. Uh, they're pretty disadvantaged in every way. And yet, I don't know if you've been down Central America someplace, Mexico, somebody, you stop off at a five-star resort. It's not incredibly strange to see one of these guys in the resort. He's in the little plants or he's climbing up the wall and you're going, how did this guy get in? Now maybe you feel, dad, that you are disadvantaged in being a dad because you, your family you grew up in is just awful. I mean, it was just awful. You didn't see anything done right. Or mom, maybe you're saying the same sort of thing. The scars you're carrying or whatever else, you're just really disadvantaged here. You can do a royal job. The, 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 the lizard reminds us of God's grace. He's not in the palace because he's earned it. He's not in the palace because he's got royal blood or because he adds so much or he's one of the king's advisors or because he has degrees or because he has lots of money. He's, but he's sharing the same quarters. He might be crawling up the, the wall at the king's bedroom. He's sharing the same quarters that the king is. Oh, he's done absolutely nothing to deserve it. Now, this is where this goes. We've done the series on unrelationships. And I, God's word is principles that I believe God's word will work regardless of where you are spiritually if you're seeking. But the most important relationship is whether or not you are in the palace of the king. Do you have a relationship with God? Because reality is, no matter how well we might try to do things, 
we're going to fail over and again. It's got to start with my relationship with him. Because when I, I get that straightened out, he promises, and this is the coolest part of salvation, I think. He promises to take all the twisted thinking and everything else. And if I subject myself to his word, he will, he will make me. He will finish what he started. He's going he's gonna to sanctify. He's going to make us think straight. And understand everything from marriage to kids to relationships. He's going to help us get there if we want that. It's got to start there. So let me ask you, do you understand, do you realize that Jesus came 2,000 years ago to die on the cross for your sin, the thing that kept you out of the, the palace? And you don't have to try to be good or get your act together or, or work hard or give special offerings or in order to get into the king's palace. It, it doesn't work that way. But simply trust and surrender your life to him. Invite him in. It will take over. Listen, you, you, you know as well as I do, relationships bring us the most joy in life and they're incredibly complicated and probably uh, the relationship with our children can be some of the most strenuous as well as the most joyful. And we will never hit perfection. But I am convinced of this. If you have the, the brain of an ant and, and you understand what time it is, you're using your time accordingly. If you have the brain of, of, of a coney and you understand how weak you are and where your defense lies. And if you have the brain of a locust and you understand the value of community and give yourself to that, and if you understand the brain of a lizard and you have claimed God's grace, all relationships will be risen. All relationships will move up. 